This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 135. And the quote of the day is from Pablo Picasso, who said, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this session is brought to you by DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW for years, but not only do they make great drums, but they also support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. This podcast is free thanks to those great folks at DW. Be sure to thank them and check them out today at dwdrums.com. This session is also brought to you by Promark, makers of Select Balance. Now, Select Balance offers a forward balance and a rebound balance version of your favorite drumstick. Choose forward balance for optimum power and speed and rebound balance for optimized finesse and agility. Head over to Promark.com forward slash Select Balance to find your balance today. So I've been getting a ton of emails about people who are looking to work with me on a one-on-one level, and I have two different ways that you can work with me. I have a, a monthly coaching program that lasts about four months, but then there's also single sessions that you can book with me if you want to chat about your career, if you want to talk about how to get into the industry, your endorsements, how to get bigger gigs, how to get touring work, or anything like that, how to connect with artists and, and drummers that are operating outside of your level. So like I said, there's two ways that we can do it. We can work on a monthly basis or we can work in a single session capacity. So if you're interested in talking more and learning more about it, just head over to drummersresource.com forward slash career and all the information is right there and you can link up with me and we'll get it done. Now, the interview that I have today, I'm super excited about. I got Sput on the podcast. I've been trying to get him on for a while. And I know a lot of you have been trying to get him or get me to get him on for a while. And we finally lined it up. It took a little while, but uh, super excited to have him here. And for those of you who, who don't know about him, I mean, the guy's done everything. I mean, he's played on the Super Bowl. He was on Kendrick Lamar's last album, The Pimple Butterfly. And the, uh, he also plays in another band, a, a little band that you may have heard of called Snarky Puppy as well. He's a monster player, an amazing human being, and just has a ton of knowledge when it comes to drumming, music, and and career, and how to live with people on the road and things like that. So this is a really cool interview that I'm I'm super excited to share with you guys. So I'm going to get into it right now with Mr. Robert Sput Seawright. Robert, what's happening, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Man, it's a pleasure. I have... Uh, as I said off air, man, I've been I've been a fan of your playing for for years, and I was just like right before we set up this interview, I just decided to watch a few more videos of you just to kind of get in your headspace a little bit. And wow, man, ever just wow, that's all I'm gonna say. The stuff that you were were playing was amazing. So I got to get the backstory a little bit of of where where that came from, where that style came from. So tell tell us a little bit about you about who you are and what you do and where you come from? Well, I'm born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so I grew up in that area uh, every summer. I spent time in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, the other half of my family is from there. And every Christmas I spend time in Denver because that's where my mom's family was from. So, well, actually, in St. Louis, my dad's side of the family was from there, and then Denver, my mom's side of the family was. So, uh, the crazy thing is, on both sides of the family, you know, it's music, music. So, it's always been music in my family. And uh, I grew up, uh, my parents were religious, so I grew up in, you know, playing in church a lot. So, you know, it was always opportunities for me to be exposed to tons and loads of musicians, good and bad. (laughs) So, so, um, I grew up, you know, I grew up playing, you know, just playing at things, you know, playing drums when I was a little kid and little, little boy and just, you know, hitting on pots and pans and it turned into me trying to play drums. And my mom bought me my first drum kit when I was like two, two or three. It was like a red sparkling Rogers drum kit. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. And, um, 
it's like a three piece and uh, the rest is history man I've been playing drums ever since as long as I can remember from that moment on I was I was I was playing drums so it's kind of as far as where I got you know where I you know the, the root of 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 my style of playing comes from just you know obviously it's the church uh, found out the foundation is church, but I man, I, I, I listened to a lot of music in the seventies because I'm a seventies baby. I was born in the seven, in the middle of the seventies, so I I was around all of that that time period and all of the stuff that was happening, which is one of my favorite time periods mm-hmm. musically mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, to reflect on. Um, so it was you know it was such an enlightenment to me because it was right in the middle of jazz and and what we know as fusion right you know today uh-huh. it was like everything was like it was either a notch away from jazz a step away from jazz and, and it wasn't as busy as fusion so it was, everything was in a pocket it was just funky everything was funky and so on and rooted off of our percussions and stuff like that and drummer drummer just really you know, he had to create a voice and be simple at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of where the root of it, it comes from. And then, as I got older, I started listening to music from the '60s, which led me to uh, James Brown's guys. You know, uh, uh, Tower Power, David Garibaldi, Steve Gadd, uh, Phil Collins, and these these are like the most influential drummers. In, in, in my, you know, in my career, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, Steve Collins is one of my favorite drummers. Um, I mean, Phil Collins. I'm sorry. I was like Steve. Um, Col- I'm making notes over here. I'm like Steve nah, Collins. I'm like. <laughs> I just I combine the two: Steve Gadd and Phil Collins. That's but, all right. <laughs> uh, um, it's, yeah, Phil Collins is definitely the guy for me. You know, all the police. I mean, all of the Genesis stuff and. Uh, um, I was a big fan of Police too, um, but I wasn't really a fan because of the drums. Mm-hmm. I was a fan because of the makeup of the band and and, and the, the music and Sting. It's just you know he was my guy. And, right, uh, right. Uh, <clears throat> I saw Steve Gadd live. My dad took me to a Chuck Manjoin. Uh I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but um, oh, concert. Uh, Ch- uh, Chuck Manjoni. Chuck, yeah, Ch- Chuck Manjoni. Yeah, he's a trumpet player. Right, right. A flugelhorn. And and um, man, Steve Gadd was playing drums, and I was like, okay, <laughs> you're like, like back to the drawing board. I was like, life changed. I was a kid, man. I was like, this was like, in I was, I was probably five years old when this happened. Right. right. So I was like, it changed. It changed my life. It changed. It literally made me look at drums differently from that point on. I was trying to mimic what I saw and what I heard on those records and what I saw live. I went to go see Jackson 5. It was Rick Lawson uh, playing drums. And I did the same thing. I went to go see... I saw him as well with um, two bands. I saw him with the Yellow Jackets. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like... I became a fan of his and, and his... You know, he wasn't like a really flashy drummer. He just was one of those guys that, that could play the music. And I just, man, so at five, if you're getting into guys that are just playing the music, it's, it's going to take you far into that zone. And I, I ended up playing piano. I ended up going, I mean, like, I ended up searching and, and like, yearning for melodies and tones and stuff like that. And that kind of changed my perspective in music, period. So do you think kind of the, Do you think that there's, uh, there's a lack of that going on now? In terms of people searching out the musicality side of it and searching out, you know, playing an instrument and and uh, and searching for tones and melodies and things like that. I don't know if I would say it's a lack because there's definitely enough of it going around. I, I don't think it's glorified as much as the other stuff is. I don't think it's presented in 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 the cool light, <laughs> if you right. will. But um. But I, I mean, I, I mean, it's all in preference. So I wouldn't say a lack because, you know, some people would prefer not to to go the musical route. You know, sure. And, um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it just depends on your career and what it's leading you, what it's leading you to. So um, 
So, I mean, but me personally, you know, if, if I were to say, hey, I would like to see this more, yeah, I would like to see more people into that because then that way, you know, people that aren't just drummers or aren't just musicians can enjoy us as a drum as in the drum world. You know, they can enjoy us more if if we are more conscious of that. If we pay more attention to that, we can get more women to enjoy hearing the drums right. <laughs> and not look at it, and not not look at it as you know making noise. You know, or annoying or. It's the, okay, it's time for me to go get a beer or a drink now. The drummer is taking the solo. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like you know, it's like those things we that we as drummers we don't really pay attention to, but it happens. <laughs> yes, it so, does. Uh, yeah. So, what was what was the uh, what prompted you to play open handed? Well, I'm left handed, so so you just have it on a just reverse it on the kit. Because I play open handed because. At a young age, I was playing left-handed, and it never felt as it never felt right. So, mm-hmm. so, and coupled with that, I would go to jam sessions and have to set the drums up the whole other way just right, to play. Right. <laughs> Everybody's looking at their watches, and I just was always that guy. I didn't want to be that guy, you know. Makes sense. So I, I started training myself. I started practicing to the right. And I, in a sense, I got better playing at the right um, than I could. My left my, my, my left foot was, wasn't was as strong as my right foot on the kick drum. So, so it really, it really out. made it. Yeah, it really worked out. But <laughs> um, I got to high school and um, here I am swinging. And uh, I couldn't swing my, I couldn't swing with my right hand, but I could swing with my left hand. So it, it prompted me to, to to create this style where I could move from my right to my left, and I was playing. But I, I hated the way it looked, so I, I just kind of didn't adapt to it. Only just to play swing, I would do it only just to swing. Oh, really? And I wouldn't do it. Yeah, and I wouldn't do it for nothing else. But because I thought it looked ugly, you know. <laughs> Um, then I got exposed to people like Will Kennedy, uh, Billy Cobham. I was going to say Billy Cobham is famous for doing that too. Yeah. I got exposed to people like those guys, uh, Gordon Campbell and this guy named Marvin McQuitty, who's very popular, mm-hmm. who's very popular in the, in the gospel world. Uh, he's, he's, he's passed away now, but he's, um, um, he encouraged me to play open-handed because he saw that I was left-handed as when I was like 10 years old, you know, right. I used to see him and, um, he kind of encouraged me. And I went back to that moment, those moments and, and, and listened to what he would say. And I ran into him, um, again, when, when I was like in my early twenties and he said the same thing, man, Hey man, you still got, you got a powerful left open hand, you know? So it's cool to lead with it. He said, utilize that and make it work for you. And, um, I saw guys like uh, another guy that really influenced me that I knew was was Gordon Campbell, who mm-hmm. plays with all sorts of people, and um, he's one of my mentors too. And he he's lefty, he's lefty, and he plays open handed on the right kid, right handed kid, and um, and he was like, "Yo," <laughs> he was like, "That's how, he said that's what you have," and, and he said he just he just told me it's okay, and he he showed me all these things that you can do. I was listening. I was looking at the way he he played and how he got around on the kid. And I mean, like it wasn't a handicap for him at sure. all. So I was like, "Well, cool. Maybe it is cool. <laughs> it looked it looked cool. Maybe so that'll was, be my thing." Yeah. Right. Mm. Well, I mean, once once you start realizing that it's time to no pun intended, but play to your strengths, it's like, hey, if this is what this is what I'm good at, this is what I work at. It's like, why why fight it? Why not embrace it? And 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 also it frees you up moving around the kit too, you know. Like in that position, if you're playing a, a right-handed kit but open-handed, that's so much. You have so much more versatility because you have you don't have this other hand in the way of everything. Yeah, I mean, as you get mature, then you start to realize how dumb that is and silly that is. <laughs> you know, to even think about the way it looks. So yeah, I'm I'm more into the way it sounds now. So. You know, it took me a while to get there, but um, 
I'm going strong for at least about 10, 10 to 12 years now. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, so. whatever you're doing, it's working for you. <laughs> I want, I wanted to touch on one thing that you had mentioned that, you know, that you grew up in the seventies. And I know that there's a lot of, there's always comparative measures that are taken all the time in the drum, well, in life in general, but especially, you know, or, or, or in the drumming community. And I know that people probably look at you and they're probably, you know, 15, 20, 25 years old and watching you play. And it's like, oh man, I'm never going to be that good. And it's like, well, let's think about this, man. You started playing at two, you know, you were born in the seventies. So you've been playing for, you know, 40 years, you know, 38 years. And so if somebody started when they're 15 and they're 20 or 25 now, it's like you still have 30 years on them of of experience. And I thought I and not to not to put your age out there, but it's just a matter of, you know, a lot of people compare themselves to other people, but don't really look at all the facts. You know, they'll see somebody who's on this major tour, but don't take into account the the 20 years of work that they put in beforehand to to get there, you know what I mean? That's so true. I mean, the, the the thing about that thing too, without telling my complete age, <laughs> but um, I, I, I mean, although I've been playing music for that long, I, I still haven't gotten to the place where I'm like totally not trying to learn more. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I'm always. I'm always trying to learn more, no matter what what I'm doing, where I'm at. I'm still looking at these guys that are younger, that are playing something that's fascinating me or that's in, inspiring me. So, so I'm as long as I'm doing that, I'm still going to be a student. I'm always going to be a student in the game, mm-hmm. as far as I see it, you know. So the the journey never stops, man. So who are no, the who are the young cats that are that are. Uh, kind of barking at your heels man you know I, they're unknown man they, these are guys there's a guy named lee pearson that um man i love the way he plays mm-hmm. uh he plays for chris chris bodie i think he's a drummer for chris bodie okay i think he's from baltimore area he's young nobody really knows about him <laughs> but I mean, I love the way he plays drums. There's another guy named Louis Cato who um, plays for Marcus Miller, but he actually he's playing bass on the Covert show right now. Oh, really? <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. So he's like, yeah. I mean, like uh, that. That's not a whole lot within itself, right there. There's another guy named Justin Brown who plays for Thundercat, and he's a jazz. I mean, like he he. I don't even know what kind of category to put him in because he, he can play everything and he's so tasteful. And um, so you got those three guys. There's a guy named Adam Dyche who I really like. Man. He, I love he Adam. Been, um, it's, uh, Calvin Rogers. who's mm-hmm. um, I had both of those guys on the podcast, actually, uh, Adam and Calvin. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So so these these are people that I love. I love to hear play. And I, then I have a couple people that I kind of raised and um there's uh my godson his name is Mike Mitchell who plays for Stanley Clark and mm-hmm. uh, I've had him since he was like three or four years old <laughs> maybe yeah four or five years old yeah and um and uh, my nephew uh, his name is Cleon Edwards who plays um for Erica Badu and, and Jill Scott oh nice yeah is he if is he from Philly by any chance oh uh, no he's these two guys are from Dallas, Texas. Oh, okay. Because I know that Joe takes a lot of people from Philly. Like, usually young drummers coming up sort of out of Philly get their start with Jill. Yeah, yeah. And he's, like, the only one that has, that's that has not been, from Philly. that's been out on tour with her that's not from Philly. Right. Actually. <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about about your career and the journey of your career, because I think it's important to tell the story of, of not only what you've done, but, but how you've gotten there, because this podcast is really to help drummers 
you know, get to the next level, take whatever level they're at, take it to the next level, maybe make a career out of this, maybe get some bigger touring gigs and things like that, because you can go anywhere to learn how to play a paradiddle. You can go anywhere to learn you know, how to do all these fills, but you have done so much. I mean, you've won a Grammy award. You played on the Super Bowl. You've done stuff with Justin Timberlake. You've done, you know, you played with Snoop, but like you've done, you have snarky puppy. There's so many different things that you've done. So let's, let's walk down that journey a little bit of, of how you started to take your career to the next level how you went from you know sort of playing with with average musicians and then playing with above average um well i mean to start for starters i grew up like again in the dallas area and i think growing up in an area like dallas where you have to go there to understand what i'm saying it's it's to me it's just as good as new york just Mm -hmm. as good as being in Detroit back in the 70s and 80s, just as good as being in L.A., just as good as being in New Orleans. It's, I mean, it, it's a scene within itself there, you know. So when people think of Texas, they always think Austin first, Houston, then Dallas is thrown in there. But, man, the scene in Dallas, the music scene in Dallas, not just funk, blues, not just jazz, but every genre, every genre and hip-hop, the, the culture, all of Everything mm-hmm. is there, man, and it's such a high volume, and it's such it's such a high energy, you know. There with you know with that stuff with with everything that's going on there, and um, so growing up there, you have you know I had guys like Roy Hargrove, David Fathead Newman, uh, 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 Eric Badu, um, Keith Anderson. Bobby Sparks, Kirk Franklin, you know, all these people, Charlie Pride, you know, all these people in this city, in this sector, and I'm, I'm leaving out a lot of people because you think about it, Johnny Taylor was living in Dallas. Right. Um, Steve Ray Vaughn, Vaughn was born there in Oak Cliff, like two houses down from where I grew up, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, those, those are the things. I mean, like, even Jimi Hendrix was born you know you got chuck rainey living in arlington you know it's like all these all you have all these people that are powerful in the game that that are living in dallas so you had access to him Uh, there was this guy named bernard wright who he was basically the teacher for the city (laughs) you know he, he basically taught us he taught everybody and taught everything that we knew we we i mean like we kind of pattern ourselves after what he was bringing to the table and man to be honest with you you know it, it it's safe it's safe the whole you know my whole path from a musician because it taught me that it was more about just playing drums it's just about playing playing music mm-hmm. and a lot of guys was was only playing music <laughs> in Dallas they were only playing music they had to play a lot of music because that's the only way they could get key gigs around Dallas because that was the standard. Well, I mean, so, I mean, there's people who made their whole entire career just playing in Texas and never even leaving Texas because it's such a big state. Right, right. So, I mean, like it was, you know, but but then other in in another sense, you know, these these people were known all over the world, you know, sure, and they they were traveling the world as well as well, you know, Roy uh, Hargrove. A lot of people thought. He's from New York. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, Erica Badu was founded in New York. Mm-hmm. Her, she was discovered. She was discovered in New York. Not found, but she was discovered in New York. So was so was uh, Roy. So everybody thought they were from New York. Same thing with Nora Jones. You know, all these people went to this. We all went to the same high school. You know. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so and you have all of this talent, right? And this in this in this region because it's, it's the, I got to cut you off for a second cuz it's interesting when you say that and I apologize for interrupting you but there's like so your high school all of you guys went there and then there's a high school in New York or uh in Brooklyn where I who all went to school there like it was I think LL Cool J went there uh I think Biggie and there was like two two other people and Nas and somebody else, I think, all went yeah. to the same. And it, it just amazes me because what are the chances that there's 
there's this there's a concentration of talent in one high school or in one area. So do you think that it's do you think it's just happenstance and it's just like there's something in the water or do you think that there's something else going on there? No, I just I mean, okay, the the school that I went to was called the Arts Magnet. It was like a special school. It was like almost like fame. It was like Juilliard school basically. Okay. Uh, so it was a special school. You had to audition to get in and Dallas had its version of it and Houston had its own version of it. So um Dallas and Houston, which is still in Texas, mm-hmm. Houston, another city that has a tremendous amount of talent. In Houston, the Houston HSPVA, you had you had Kendrick Scott, Eric Harlan, uh, uh, Robert Glasper, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Jamar, Jamar, um, Chris Dave, Mark Simmons. All these people went to that school. <laughs> you know, it's like, and so, and and every year, man, like we'd have a robbery robbery situation with that school and it was like it was like friendly competition but for the teachers it wasn't friendly at all but they, <laughs> they, they were like ah they were sickening us on each other and um and um we we would we'll bounce back and forth they win one year we win the next year they win the next year we you know i mean like it would go back and forth so all of us not even knowing about this little grudge match between our instructors and stuff like this we're just growing up with each other and, and getting to know each other. And now we're all in the same industry and seeing each other in different countries, traveling and playing with, you know, playing music for a living and getting to travel the world and inspire people. So it's a beautiful thing. But in our little city in Dallas where this was happening, I think it's, I mean, like we all didn't go to school at the same time, but that school put out so much talent and that's the point. And I think it's more of, it's just, you know, it's not happenstance. I mean, that school attracts a lot of talent that don't even make it, you know, to the public eye. Right, you know, right, right. It's just, they just remain in Dallas or in the Texas area. But, I mean, the, the bottom line is, is it's there. The talent is there. And, and the growth, the, the platform for growth and learning was always there. So that's why I always opted to stick around and just learn from what I had there on that scene. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the story behind my life because I, I learned I was able to play with people. I was told at an early age to always surround yourself with musicians that were better than you. Sure. And, uh, I mean, you have nowhere to go, but up, <laughs> you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and, you know, but if you're the guy, best guy on the bandstand, you're, you're, you have the potential to stunt your growth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what's that? If, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. If, I mean, if you, if you're the teacher and you're still trying to learn, then I mean, no, you're not going to benefit anybody. Sure. You know, so I mean, like, and that's that's small scale, but I mean, like, on a really big level, you know, always surround yourself with people that are that can teach you. you no, know, just not not just drummers, not just percussionists, but other, other guys that play other instruments. And I, I've always been in that position. I was getting my ass kicked in every gig from 13, from 13 on. You know, I was I was always in the position where I, oh wow. And, and you know, and back then, you know, it wasn't it wasn't YouTube, it wasn't MySpace, it wasn't other social media stuff. So it was um, like I didn't get praised often, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I didn't I didn't get like the whole I, I you know I I didn't always I couldn't I was always told what I didn't do right. Sure. As opposed to, you know, when I thought I did a good job, you know, everybody kind of just heightened that and made it more. But, um, no, man, I was, I was, I got shoes thrown at me. I got, I got kicked off the drums. You know, I, I got yelled at about dragging and slowing down the beat. I got yelled at about being too loud. You know, I mean, right. like, I mean, like these, these things helped me become and shaped me to become the musician I am now because I'm conscious of that. You know, I, I witnessed, I did wedding parties where everybody on the bandstand would take a, a, a solo and everybody be on the dance floor. And then when the drummer time comes, drum, get a drummer song and everybody leave the dance floor because I'm soloing. So it made me feel like shit, you know. So I had to figure that out, you know. And, and the way to figure it out is just being musical and making sure people can still feel you. People can still relate to you, even if you're a drummer. 
you know, you have to be able to relate to people if you want them to move to your beat, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that got me into studying people that make people dance when they play drums, which is people like Tony Allen, the Afrobeat stuff, Fela, you know, uh, James Brown, Prince, you know, uh, uh, Michael Jackson, all of the drummers that, you know, these 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 this music, uh, Tower of Power, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire, you know, the Funkadelics. Parliament, you know, these bands made people dance, you know, and uh, that's that's what got me into that side of the music, you know. Now it's just me figuring out both ways because I also like the progressiveness of being expressive and using improvisation and to create in ways where you wouldn't normally do it, you know, Mm -hmm. in 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 a strict form, so. Do you think that that playing stuff like Tower of Power, Earth, Wind and Fire, James Brown, something like that, do you think that 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 doesn't allow you to be as creative as you'd like to be? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not that it doesn't allow you to be as creative as as you'd like to be. I mean, I meant, I meant you specifically. No, well, me specifically is just it's it's just it's its thing. It's its own genre. It's its own thing, you know. And uh, it's like it's like kind of like with each. Like with each drummer, there's a set of rules. You know what I'm saying? And if you break the rules, I'm not gonna say it's not okay to break the rules, but if you break the rules, everybody knows you did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like everybody knows you broke the rules. Now, they might not even say nothing about it, but it's like, oh, okay. His, you know, he's he's playing. We're playing Latin, but he's playing uh, uh, a calypso beat. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like those. I mean, like music is beautiful, and you can cross genres. But if you break the rules unintentionally or uh, without knowing that you're doing it, everybody else knows whether you know it or not, you right. know, whether they mention it or not. It's just it's one of those things. So so I've always looked at things. I've always looked at music that way. I've always looked at Earth, Wind & Fire's music is, I mean, like you have creativity as long as you know the melodies and you're working around playing those melodies. But if you're missing cue parts of the songs and you're, in enforcing the music with your own ideas and your own, you know, anything that would take away from the song, then of course you're not, you're not giving the song what it needs, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's how I look for any, that's how I look at anything. So, cause I, but I'm, I'm to the point in my career where I do feel like I can express myself over any genre of music. It's, it's, that's not the issue. It's never been the issue. I think the issue is what does the artist want? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and because ultimately you 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 got to get them what they want, or you're gonna lose, you're not gonna have your gig. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the whole point. You know, you can be great and you can be the best drummer in the world, but if they don't like you, or if they don't like what you bring to the table, you're not gonna have the gig. Period. Right. I want to touch on something that you that you mentioned a little earlier about about getting thrown off the stage and, you know, getting shoes thrown at you and yelled at and, and, and getting, and I don't want to say criticized, but I'm, I'm guessing more of constructive criticism or, or sort of that, you know, that tough love. And let's talk a little bit about that, the importance of that and, and what other people should, should do when, when they're in a situation like that, because I've had the same thing, man. I, I played with a, I played with a guitar player for years named uh, Johnny DeFrancesco. It was Joey DeFrancesco's brother. And, uh, and he grew up, you know, with the, his brother's the greatest organ player in the world. His dad is in the, in the jazz hall <laughs> fame. You know what I mean? And, He's mean. Uh, what's that? He was a meanie, huh? <laughs> he was, a, he was me. I love the dad. And you know what? With the years that I played with him, I grew the most out of anyone else that I've ever played with. And because he would scream at me and, you know, he's like, well, you know, what are you playing basically? So I, but I'd love, I love to hear other people's uh, reactions to what they did and how they suggest other people handle those types of situations. Well, I was, when I was in, um, I mean, those like, Okay, like for instance, I got I had some shoes thrown at me. Uh, I had a shoe thrown at me. I was like, many, so, like I thought you were saying no, multiple no, shoes. No, 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 it feels like it. But uh, actually, there's two really popular drummers that was there to witness this. Really? And it was yeah, it was um, Little John Roberts uh-huh. uh, and Gordon Campbell. We all grew up in in these church. We grew up in church, and uh, 
there every year, once a year, there was these meetings that would happen um, where we would gather from all sort all over the world, you know, all over uh, not all over the world, but all over the states to meet in one city that was selected per year to uh, congregate for like maybe a week or two out of the summer. And uh, we would meet up and it would be like services, church services and activities, musicals and, you know, all sorts of things happening musically. And um, so there's these choirs that we would play for and they were called the National Choirs. And it was directed by a lady named Madame Moss Clark, who was the mother of the Clark sisters, who was a famous gospel singing group of uh, sisters. And um, she was over the choir. She was like... A uh, freaking, uh, she was like a, a sergeant, a drill sergeant, <laughs> to be over a choir. And I mean, like she had so much command, like she could scare five hundred people at one time. And she was not a big lady, not uh, at all. Like she, her voice just would, you know, would make people. I mean, like if she said the wrong things, some people could take it the wrong way and cry. And so, so basically. Make a long story short, but I mean, she didn't know who I was. She, I mean, she didn't. She knew who I was. She didn't know I was on the drums, right. but I was dragging. To make a long story short, I was dragging. She wanted me to follow her the motions of her hands and hit the cymbal every time she moved her hand up and down, and I was just behind her, and it it was frustrating her to no end. Like you know, she gave me all opportunities, and then just one one time, it just broke. It just, you know, it just was it. <laughs> it was just the one more time. And she, I mean, the, before that, she was twisting her skirt around in frustration. She was like, oh, follow me, you know. And uh, before that, you know, it might have been something else. She just, you know, she gave me an apple warning to make a little, you know, that's my point. And I missed the cue one more time. And she took off her shoe and threw it my way. And, <laughs> you know, my good mentors and brothers, Lou John and Gordon, Laughs at me <laughs> while I'm in while I'm in total humiliation and turmoil. And at this time, at this at this time, I was 12 years old, and um, I was 13 years old, 12 or 13 or something like that. And uh, I was I was crying, you know. I, right. I I felt horrible, you know. I felt like the lowest person. And uh, but you know, I, 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 my motivation was to get her to like me because at that point you know you're not in reality you just you feel like I'm you know I'm like she just don't like me right she just don't right, like right, me you right. know so I, my motivation was to play on a level that I felt like she would like me and uh, she did like me she liked me then she didn't even know it was me on the drums she didn't care who it was on the drums whether she sure. liked them or not it was about following her right and, and playing the music and it taught me a lot about discipline. It taught me a lot. Not that I didn't know, but it just made me pay more attention to that kind of those kind of things. Just like not just knowing the song, but knowing what the artist likes, knowing what the producer likes, or whoever whoever you're working for. Not just knowing the material, but knowing what people like, so that you can add that as a part of the equation and, and all those things. So I, I would, you know, when those things would happen to me, I just would use that as motivation to, for it not to happen again. Sure. And those things only happen one time. You know, I got kicked off the drums because I was dragging. It was from my mom. <laughs> you know, I begged my mom, could I play in her choir rehearsals? And, you know, it's just choir rehearsals. One performance is just choir rehearsals. All right. And, you know, I'm like, can I, can I play? You know, there's no drama here. It's just you on the organ. Can I play behind you? I know the beat. Yeah, sure. And straight up, she's like, uh-uh. If you drag, I can't use you. That was... Wow. That's, that's what... This is exactly was her phrase. If you drag, I... Uh-uh. Like, if you drag, I can't use you. And and that was the warning. And if I am if I was dragging, I had to get off. Right. You know, and I'm was, starting was, to see a theme here, though, that it's... Well, two things. One... Something with women leading, you can't keep up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, right. uh, but uh, so I guess you, you used to have an issue with dragging? Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, everybody has an issue with time. You know, yeah. that's something, you know, we, you know, I, I wasn't practicing with metronomes then. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't even practicing on the level that I ended up practicing on during mm-hmm. that time period. I just was raw. I had a raw talent. I could play. 
in situations where I was, I was always in the situations where I was the better drummer than the adult guy, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I, I played in blues clubs when I was 13 and, uh, I was getting, I was getting stronger in certain areas and then lacking in other areas or other genres of music because of what I wasn't familiar, was, or wasn't familiar to or with, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like that's just, that was a part of it. And sure. each, each, each of those experiences taught me something more, you know, especially right. when you're that young, you, you know, I was motivated. I was, I was, I was determined that I was going to be, that this is going to be what I want to do. When I took, went to those concerts, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be on that stage. I want to be doing all of that that they're doing. And I, was, I wasn't going to let them stop me from doing that, you know? So that's kind of part of it too. You have sure. to really stay focused and be, you know, assured that that's what you, what you really want. Because if you're half in, half out, you know, like I interviewed Nate Morton the other day and, you know, he, his thing was, you can't be, you can't be, you can't give it a half go and just, you know, half acid. You got to either, you got to be in it or you got to be out of it. Yeah, because here's the thing. He said, because it's music. The, the life of a musician is great, but when it's up, it's up. And when it's down, it's down. Yep. And you have to be, you got to have, which is getting, I guess, around to every other elements of your question, you know, you got to have more than just talent to survive. You know, you got to have, you know, first of all, to, to maintain a gig, you have to be cool. Right. There's a percentage of being cool. Like, like people, it's like, no, you just have to be talented. You just have to know how to learn the songs and know how to play drums. No, there's a percentage. And those are the less percentages of what yeah. you have to be. You have to be, I mean, the highest percentage is being a professional and being knowing when to speak, knowing when not to speak, knowing who to address, what protocol, knowing protocol and, and knowing how to address protocol, knowing how to deal with that. Being on time, which is discipline, mm-hmm. and be, being adjustable and flexible when it comes to, you know, what's written versus what's verbal. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to be flexible with dealing with tour managers, dealing with managers, dealing with production managers, stage managers, music directors. You, I mean, like you have to, you have to know how to deal with people that like you. You have to know how to deal with people that don't like you. That's before you get on stage to make. Any music, right. you got to do all this before. Then you got right. go, then then you got to figure it out on the bandstand. Then you, when you get on the bandstand, you have to you have to make sure that you love, you are prepared and you know the music. You're able to take cues. You're able to be flexible again, and you're able to take direction and and able to follow if something changes or if something if, you know if, if you drop a stick or you lose a drum to a riser or something you have to be able to adjust and, and, and maneuver in ways that won't discredit the show or disrupt the show. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you have to be a, a good businessman. Sure. You know, so, so I mean like it, man, it's, it's a lot, man. People don't understand. And you really, as, as music director, as stage managers and tour manager and all that stuff, when they're hiring people and they're they're casting people to go out on the road with and live with for three three months, being cool matters. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Being cool, it matters. If you're not cool enough to, to shack with or, or you know, be on a in bus space with, I mean, like, it makes a difference. You're not going to get a lot of gigs. Right, because you're, I mean, the percentage of time that you spend playing versus everything else, like living with these people, then, you know, the, the percentage playing is nil compared to everything else. Yeah, I mean, you play for two hours a night. Right. But you, you're, the hour is 24, the day is 24 hours. Right, right. You know, so you got 22 hours to be with people and live with people and eat with people, wine and dine with people. And I mean, I'm telling you a lot about be, a lot of being cool is just being mature. Right. Sometimes if you, it's a, a laugh could get you kicked off a gig. Sometimes if your laugh is just too much, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean like those things happen, man. I've seen it. Um, or your, your timeliness, you know, you know, I mean, I've seen, man, I've seen gigs where people just don't play with that kind of stuff. They, mm-hmm. It's like all business. It's serious. And well, there's too many options out there, too. It's like, if yeah. I, I mean, why don't nobody, you know, nobody needs to put up with you because they can find somebody else who can play as well. They just got like, if you're not cool, then they'll just get somebody else. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, that's life. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's life. You know, that's 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 life. Period. And so, yeah. So, I mean, like, it's a lot that comes with it. And, and, and if you well, if you aware of those things and you uh, govern yourself accordingly and you apply yourself to the, these things, I think you'll have a longevity in your career. And what I did, I, I just I never got complacent, man. I just man, I did the hip hop gig. I did. I played for Snoop for 10 years. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to do some other stuff because I can do more than this. And I went and played for Erica. I went and played for Timbaland, did the Justin Timberlake. I went back and I was producing gospel records. I did Kim, Kim Burrell. I started playing with, I did Tone. I did uh, Kirk Franklin, all his stuff, Fred Hammond. I played with all of the gospel artists. And then I, I went back and did in the pop world and started doing more pop. I mean, I went back to the hip hop world, started doing hip hop again. Then I wanted to play, so I ended up um, doing a lot of jazz stuff. So I was playing with, you know, Bernard Wright and Rohar Grove and the Snarky Puppy, Marcus Miller. You know, started playing with uh, Robert Glasper and all these, all these other people. You know, that are that are doing all the things that, that I aspire to do. I was trying to get and put myself in positions where I can be in in the conversations, you mm-hmm. know, and because at this point I've studied to, to show myself approved, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've had a, uh, an all right career, you know, but it's about putting yourself in, the, like, if you want to be the guy to get called to do this, you have to make relationships. You have to keep relationships. You have to make sure that people know that you're available. You have to make sure that people know that you can, can do these things that they will automatically stereotype you and put you in the category of one genre. Yeah. And, you know, but if they do that and that's the only genre you've seen in, you're seen or exposed uh, from, then, of course, everybody's going to say, oh, well, he's he's the R&B guy. He's the gospel chops guy. He's, the, you know, or he's the jazz guy. Don't call him for nothing else because he, oh, he, he's just the jazz guy. Right. You know, I mean, like, that that's what I pride myself in not being categorized and being a guy that, that, that can do everything or possibly can be called to do everything. You know, sure. At yeah. least. I, w- I got to ask what your, what your approach is to practicing two reasons why I want to ask one. It's always a hot topic among the, the listeners because they always want to know what people's approach is. And every single person I talk to, their approach is different. So what's your approach? Well, I mean, first of all, when I do get the opportunity to practice, cause right. that is gone. I mean, <laughs> you know, I have a family, I have kids, I have a, a life, and I have bills to pay and all that kind of stuff now, which is going before now. I'd, I'd say as if you were a kid and you're in college, man, if you're in between the, the high school and the college years, take advantage of mama's home. Yep. And take advantage of the, the opportunity of being taken care of. Because <laughs> yeah. as long as you can do that, you got time to practice. Because one thing that's going to always be there is food, money, and women once you become an adult. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like money is going to be the hard thing to acquire. But if you just get you a job, you can always have money. Right. You know what I'm saying? But um, these are the things that we don't like giving up when we're teenagers. We want to party. Uh, you know, party is what I meant to say, too. I mean, because partying women and, you know, all those the girls, are that, that's the thing. When you're in high school, you, you, you want to get the girls and hang out and have the parties and stuff like that. Man, I took that time and was practicing, man. I was practicing eight hours a day and uh, trying to just get as much as I could in the summertime. Instead of going home, I just stayed on campus and just practiced. Stay in the dorm room and just practice. Mm-hmm. And um, it paid off because now I can practice and that time is helping me right. that I put in. So, But when I do get to practice now, it's something, it's really weird. It's like I'm hearing things that I want to jump into. Um, so when I jump, I jump on the drums. I'm, I'm trying to practice things that I hear that are more musical <laughs> than, than rhythmically. But I'm trying to infuse certain things together in, in ways that I'm not comfortable doing them. And uh, and when I saw so when I'm practicing, I'm, I'm either trying to figure out coordinated coordinations and uh, ways to get around uh, 
the drum set still from left to right. You right. know what I'm saying? How to how to play, in, you know, uh, in independence in ways that I that I I don't play, sure. so that I can get my body uncomfortable and, and unaccustomed. Used to being uncomfortable and unaccustomed to formality and just what's you know just one format. You know that's why I changed the drums around. That's why I changed the size sizes of the drums or the placements of the drums. Um, the tones I use snares mm-hmm. instead of toms, but I play them as toms. I use you know I mean I play I play various of symbol <laughs> textures, and uh, it's just my thing. I just right. I, I'm always trying to find things that's gonna make me play differently and make me feel a little bit more creative than what the normal way of life might be for me on the drum kit. You mm-hmm. know. It's funny that you say that because every I practice in the morning. I get up early to fit in some practice time, and I, I literally today I'm sitting in the practice room and I'm looking at my the first rack tom and I was like, why do I have this thing so high? Like I'm just looking at it. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I gotta like lift my hand, so I just took it and just like lowered it down maybe like like three inches. And then just started playing again. I was like, man, this is a lot easier. I was like, I've been playing this way for 20 years. And like, why didn't I just move this thing? And it's just like small tweaks like that. It's amazing how much influence they can have. Now, I don't I don't obviously go to the extremes that you do, but I can't even imagine like, you know, what the what impact it has moving all the stuff around now you got me expired inspired to like move some stuff yeah, around I mean, just try it just try it i mean I'm i always not. like move stuff around when i was younger but now i feel like i've just got my my setup for you know how so i'm right are you right-handed i'm right-handed yeah all right try try i'm gonna inspire you a little bit challenge you and see what what you can do with this i like it try try putting your ride somewhere to the left i will i you know what it's funny i did that years ago because i was a big carter beaufort fan Oh, really? Yeah. So I would put, I, I mean, like years ago. So probably it's probably been 10 or 12 years since I put the ride on the left. So you're playing lead with, the, you're saying I should lead with the left? Or no, just no, put the no, ride I'm, there? No, leave with your right. Just put, put the, the ride, ride there. Watch how, watch how your sound changes just because of how you have to get to that right. place. It's, gonna, it's really weird. It's like it changes. I mean, like, and and I mean, don't do gigs like this. Just right practice now, this way. <laughs> <laughs> Just practice this way. And, and, I was like, Spot told me to move the symbol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't don't. I'm I, I'm not responsible for that. But <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, you practice this way, and you're gonna you're gonna hear yourself doing things, which is gonna train your ears to hear things that are different. Right. And you're gonna feel yourself doing things, which is gonna train your limbs. And exercise exercise them to be accustomed of doing the things differently, or doing things in a different manner. When you do hear those different things, so right. it won't be as awkward or uncomfortable. And you know, you, I, I did notice one thing when I used to do that was the more interplay that I had going on between the hi hat and the ride, and like even just patterns between my hands, not necessarily going back and forth between the like. For some reason, when my hands are split, you know the the if I'm like whatever pattern I'm playing seems a little more awkward than if they're together, like I was playing them on a pad. So I noticed that I was doing more intricate stuff on the ride and the hi-hat, you know, just by moving the ride to that side. So I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up and see how, see how that works. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's just my, that's, drums is a whole lot of stuff. Uh, there's so many ways you can, you can switch things up. So I just say, just challenge yourself just to do more. I mean, like that's, for me, that's that's it, man. Because every time I do a gig or get a gig, my thing is, okay, new rider, right. new rider, right. new rider. Because uh, I'm because first I'm gonna set the gig up according to how the music is, mm-hmm. and the, the record according to what tones need needs to be there. I'm not gonna just automatically say, hey man, give me a regular drum kit because I might not need all the sounds. You know, I might not. I might not need it, so so I'm always gonna set it up according to what what gig I'm doing. That's the beginning. So, and, but that allows me to to just approach things different. Sure. Now I remember reading something. I think it was on the Minel site about how the legacy that you want to leave is is leaving people inspired to to chase after a dream. And I think that that's one of the important things that people don't that people tend not to do is is really think that that things are possible that they that they wish to achieve 
Um, so what's, what's your, what's your take and your approach to sort of goal setting and, and achievement? Do you, do you do that kind of stuff in a systematic way at all? Or do you just sort of say, this is what I'm going to do and, and that's it? No, no. I mean, like it's, it's simple to say, this is what I want to do, but it's, it's the road to getting there is, is hard. And, and a lot of people just give up. And, and I'd say, um, I mean, honestly, or in this day, in this time, where you have so many of the overnight success stories and, you know, you can literally put a clip up on YouTube and get a million views and become famous mm-hmm. to some degree. Right. Um, to not buy into that stuff because being famous doesn't mean successful. And uh, in, in that case, you know, it just means that you got to keep doing that. <laughs> so that right. people, people, you know, you got to get people to the point where they can pay for that, you know, because that's the only way you can be successful and do that and sustain it, you know. But um, I just just not buying into that. If that happens, then cool. If you're one of the lucky ones where, you know, you're able to build a career off of putting a, a clip up on YouTube. But I mean, most of the people that are out there and that are really working at it, they worked hard for it, man. Yeah, they 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 put in hours of training you know training themselves uh, to learn music to be professionals to read to practice their own rudiments to, to to teach themselves how to play afro-cuban beats authentically to teach themselves how to play uh latin authentically to teach themselves how to play for folklore drums you know i mm-hmm. mean like it's all of this stuff all this stuff to teach themselves how to swing like max roach you know, I mean, like these people, you know, people that are really out there and that are really doing it have really worked hard to do it. And and it's not a streak of luck. It's not a happenstance. It's not arbitrary that people are successful in doing all these things. I mean, I'm grateful that I'm able to be, you know, publicized, or if you will, or exposed to a, a broad range of people. But that's not why I'm doing it. Right. You know, I'm doing it. I'm doing what I love to do and I'm grateful to do that. And I want to inspire people that aren't aren't doing it yet that they can do it. But I'm telling them how to do it. Like, first of all, you got to practice and you can't say you can't ever say, well, I'm ready and have a sense of entitlement. And, and that's the that's the difference between this generation and generation I came up with. This is so much entitlement. You feel like, OK, just because you can do what you saw someone do on a clip that you're ready and, but you don't know where he was coming from. You don't know the placement idea. You don't know the creative idea that was around. Why was that presented? Why, how did that marry the song? I mean, Mm -hmm. you got to kind of break things down, you know, and when I was coming up, we had to break it down because we couldn't see it. We only, we only could hear it on the vinyl, you know, we could only, so we couldn't see what they were doing. So we had to really dissect it. it. We had to really dissect it and study it and study where they were coming from because it wasn't visual at all. There was no sight. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, like, it's those things, you know, just, just, that's my, that's my goal is just to make sure everybody knows that you can achieve it, but you just have to work, man. You gotta, you gotta really, you gotta really make an effort towards and, and be about the music and not about self glorification and, all of the things that fame and fortune brings bring to you, you can't buy into that because at the end of the day, you know, you know, when you the higher up you get, the more successful you get, the more you got to thank people because they're the reasons why you're successful. You know, I do a concert, I do a show, and people walk up to me and they ask me to take a picture or give an autograph. As really awkward and weird as that seemed to me individually, it's more it's more arrogant for me to turn that down. Mm-hmm. But then to to actually just give it because you are inspiring that person enough and it means something to them, right? And it's and and it's it's at least a thank you for paying money to come see me, you know. If anything, you know, right? right. And now those things are are to me in my book those things are really high up on the list. That means a lot, you know. That's because that that is you go back and you look and it's like okay, well this is how. This is how it's done. You know, this is you inspire people and then they inspire you right back. Sure. I think that's, I think that's great advice, man. I really do. And, you know, the one thing I've noticed through doing, you know, I've 
had conversations with 150 people for the podcast and the other thousands of people that I met and played with and done all that. And the higher you get up on the food chain, the nicer, more down to earth and more real people seem to be, which is, which is refreshing. Yeah. You know, it's the guys who have the, the egos most of the time that aren't, are the guys that aren't really doing anything. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean like those, and that's, I, you know what? I think I think that makes the most sense, though. It makes all the sense in the world because, you know, the more you do things, the more mature you become, the mm-hmm. more wise. The more the more you, the more years you have on Earth, the the wise, you become wiser. You become mature. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully <laughs> that's happening. You know, and and I mean, like, and you have a you have a, a broader perspective of things. You know, you get to see life differently. You get to see it. You get to step back and watch life instead of being in the middle of it you know right so i i totally agree man so if people want to want to connect with you personally do you teach private lessons or anything like that man i do it in seasons i do uh you have to follow me on twitter and instagram to know but um i'm and you can do that at at spectacular um s-p-u-t-a-c-u-l-a-r and i'll put i'll put all the notes in the in the show notes for this so people can check it out too so They'll be able yeah. to uh, well, find all simple. the information. It's simple what I do because I'm, I'm I'm not I don't call myself a teacher, mm-hmm. but I'll show you what I know, and that's my thing though because I really feel like that um this is what this is how I could give back. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so my idea of giving back is just to be able to share with people and and you know. Um, but, but unfortunately because of my work schedule and all the things I'm involved with, I can't just do that like normal guys that give lessons do. So I just do it in season. So uh, I randomly put up, uh, each maybe two quarters out of the year. I just, I just was like, yo, this is lesson season. If you want, if you want to get at me, such and such, you know, and then uh, I have to cut it off because it's like. You know, guys be wanting to get three hours on Skype, and that's like right. <laughs> for them. Uh, that's like <laughs> right. that's two hours. You all right, know? All right. Uh, that's four people. So, I mean, like you know, and I, I love to do it, and, and, and but it just takes a lot. It takes right. a lot out of you. So I can't. Unfortunately, I can't do it as much. So I do do that those things, but it's very uh, limited and. Uh, it's possible, but it's, it's it's just not something that I do on a regular know? basis. Well, I'll, like I said, I'll make sure that I uh, that I link up to everything. All everything that we talked about will be in the show notes section, so that so that people can check it out. Okay. Well, I mean, I just recently released on the 16th of October, released a record uh, called called Fortified with um, my friend and partner in crime with Snarky Puppy. His name is Nate Worth, and together we're called Ghost Note. Uh, we have a band as well called the, the Ghost Note, and um, we were fortunate, man, to put the record out and release. Uh, and the re- on the release day, we debuted at number one next to Frank Sinatra and Miles Davis. <laughs> so it's cool. So it's, I think it's a good record for not just drummers, but all musicians and music lovers alike. And I think, I mean, I think it's something that you will enjoy. So please support. Um, you can catch us at G underscore note official and it's ghost note official uh, on Twitter. Or you can hit me at, at Sputacular on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same same name. And then we have a ghost note page on Facebook as well. The ghost note band. So nice. Yeah, and man. Like I said, I'll link to Please all support. this stuff so that people don't have to remember all of it. It'll all, there'll all be links in the show notes for this and people can check it out and, and get right to your site. Awesome, man. Cool. Spot, man. Thank you for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was great to have you on here. Like I said, I've been dying to get you on here. I know the listeners have as well. So I just want to tell you that I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do, uh, what you're doing for, for the drumming community, man. And just thank you again for doing this. I appreciate, I appreciate it so much, man, for even considering me, man. This is Absolutely, a, man. This is an honor. But I, I did want to add that, I mean, even though I don't really do the lessons, but if you ever see me out anywhere, if you catch me at a show or catch me on the street or catch me in the store or whatever, I'm I'm the type of guy you can always pull to the side and ask questions to. I'll give you my number. I'll give you my email address. And, you know, we can get on Skype, whatever the case is. And I'm I'm the guy where you can I'm, I'm always eager to share 
even if it's not in lesson form, you know, right. my way or any answer any questions and be, help people as much as I can. So, and that, my friends, is why he's at the top of his game: the humbleness and the willingness to to uh, to help and and to share and to keep this keep this drumming thing moving forward, man. So, kudos to you for that again. Thank you, man. Really, really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you. So there you have it, Mr. Sput C. Wright. Head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 135 to get all the resources and links that we talked about and for ways that you can connect with Sput himself. And if you're feeling stuck in your career and you feel like you need a little bit of direction on how to get more gigs, how to get endorsements, which way you want to go, how to make a career out of this music business, hit me up. Go to drummersresource.com forward slash career. And there's two different options that we can work together. We, we can do a single session thing where you may just need me to answer a couple questions for you or, or just help you get a new perspective on things. Or you might want to go into my four month intensive and, and work with me on a monthly basis. And I'm acting as your, your mentor and, and also a accountability partner to help you go down this road and and so you don't have to go down it alone which is tends to be really difficult so i'll save you all the shortcuts and 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 help you navigate these waters a lot better so head over to drummersresource.com forward slash career if you're interested and to learn all about uh both both different programs that i have and if you're digging the podcast do me a favor head over to itunes and leave a rating and review that helps the rate or helps the podcast excuse me get higher in the ratings it helps more people find out about it gets more eyes and ears on the podcast and helps us get better guests and and things like that so i would really appreciate it if you would do that. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.